Light! Light this candle! Camera! Action! Moron. I've got morons on my team. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! We're in the pipe. Five by five. We'll help! Yeah, I'll just fill my pipe! And so it begins. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind. folks to the man cave movie review the podcast that reviews the good the bad and the ugly of movies for men and women i'm your host jeff Bunsey, and tonight we are bringing you a special edition of the man cave movie review a little bit of background here uh time ago uh, we had a listener um suggest to us come up with uh, i believe it was scott waldeck maybe it could have been rick allen could have been somebody proposed to us to come up with our top five non-man cave movies We've done one of these in the past, and Sir Ken Roney was our first one. And strangely, um, that podcast is one of the most downloaded podcasts we have. So, based on that information, we felt that our listeners, that would be you, were interested in hearing what we like that are not Man Cave movies and probably won't be reviewed, yet maybe worth checking out. So, we ran into the ionosphere tonight, as in um, some of our <laughs> podcast boys can't be here. So, um, so we decided to um, continue with those that could, but uh, let's do a special edition. So, we had mentioned that everybody will eventually have a turn at this. And tonight is Mark's turn. In attendance tonight, we have Marcus Slovarius and Kenneth, what's the frequency, Roni with us um, to talk about Mark's top five non-Man Cave movies. And these are in no certain order, of course, but he may have an order. And with that, um, we're we're going to kind of get into Mark's take. And as uh, we did with Ken's, we will talk about our feelings, you know, our experience with these movies, if we have them. And um, hopefully you enjoy this podcast. So without further ado, Mark... Ken, thanks for joining us tonight. I don't have any uh, catchy uh, intros except for what I've already done. So, so Mark, thank you. I know I put you on the spot because we weren't planning on our other two podcasters um, uh, not being available. Um, you know, during this COVID nineteen, uh, Indiana has finally opened up, so I'm sure they've been out clubbing, and, um, and 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 that's probably the late nights that they've had have just caught up to them. So. Um, so, Mark, um, thanks for uh, entertaining this and, and coming up with your list in, uh, in about 15, 20 minutes. And I look forward to uh, dissecting this with you. So, welcome to the show, Mark. How are you? Why, why thank you, Jeff. And nothing like putting the metaphorical gun to my head. Hey, change your plans. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I fly by the seat of my pants, and so is the so does the yeah. podcast at times. So, so Mark, thanks for doing this. Um, I, no, this I, I definitely fun. wanted to get something up and out there. Um, I always yeah. like to think that these podcasts, uh, these special podcasts, are going to take less time, but sometimes they take 
a lot longer. So without further ado, let's jump into this. Mark, yeah. uh, what, what's, what's the first movie you are interested in talking about? So the first movie we're going to talk about is, in many regards, would be considered a man cave movie, except for one thing. It's a musical. 1776. Um, and it is about 1776. It originally was a Broadway production, and then it moved to film with a number of the Broadway actors moving with it to the film version. And it is about the lead up to and the ratification of the Declaration of Independence and the writing of it and the politics behind the scenes between the various colonies and factions to get the declaration to get all the members to vote yay except one abstention new york courteously they always courteously abstain from every vote because they don't have direction from their legislature so an abstention doesn't count as a no but it is about the congress creating the declaration of independence so it is a musical about that with william daniels some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, yeah. He's in the seventies and eighties. He's on a lot of TV, a lot of TV. Um, he, elsewhere. He, he was the voice of kit on yes. Knight Rider. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And he was insane elsewhere. One of those first doctor heartthrob TV shows in yep. the eighties. Yep. So he plays John Adams, Howard De Silva, a stage actor plays Ben Franklin, Ken Howard, you probably heard that name. He was um, White Shadow was the TV show he was in. I don't know if you guys remember that. No. I remember White Shadow. It was big in uh, yeah. his day. Yeah. Again, another character actor. I don't think I don't know if he's still working or not. Yeah, I guess he is. Uh, he played Thomas Jefferson. So a lot of people that you have probably seen, but Blythe Danner is Martha. Jefferson, but she was probably best known in the Fockers series. Meet the Fockers. Yeah, she was also in Saint Elsewhere. By the Meet way, Meet the Parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying yeah. to think. I she so, I felt she was on a, um, a some sort of sitcom, and um, she was also in Will and Grace. Like a lot of character actors, it's a big ensemble cast. It's there are only two female roles: Martha Jefferson and Abigail Adams, and they are basically on very briefly in kind of uh, back and forth conversation with their husbands, Adams and Jefferson. And it's a fascinating, is it historical? No, it, it's a musical, but it's a great musical in the sense of John Adams is pushing to get the Declaration of Independence written. And he wants it to declare, you know, that we are leaving the mother country. And there is a core group led by many of the southern um, colonies, South Carolina especially, that are very, uh, they're call, they call themselves, and there's a, a song in it, cool, cool, considerate men. They're the planters, and, and also the issue they don't want to lose is slavery. So a, a big part of the these tentpole, if you will, of the third act is um, the only way that the the um, declaration will be ratified is if slavery is left in. And there's a great, very painful scene between Jefferson and Adams and 
who are saying, you know, this is wrong. And the other guys knowing they've got them over a barrel saying it sucks to be you. Um, if you want us, it's either all or none. And Franklin steps in and he has a great conversation about we're just men trying to do the impossible. I'm paraphrasing, but it's a great statement about, you know, we're going up against something we have no business winning. We're just simple men trying to do something. We, we have to deal with this here and now. The next step will have to take care of itself. And keeping in mind, Franklin was a huge abolitionist um, historically. But it's, it's a fascinating character study and a study of politics within the Continental Congress set to music. And the music is, you, you can go to YouTube and watch some of the clips. There's some very fun, upbeat, kind of playful uh, songs about that carry the movie along to the different next phases of the movie. And then there are some very powerful uh, songs that make you think. Like, there's one about Mama Look Sharp. It's about a soldier who is dying on the battlefield in Washington's army um, and calling for his mother. Uh, so you've got all of this interesting dynamic of it's, it's a comedy, it's a drama, and it's set to music about the founding of our country. Um, and I love it because, first off, there's not too many American Revolutionary War movies. Um, and anyone who tells me that The Patriot by Mel Gibson, is, which is streaming on Netflix, is a Revolutionary War movie. No, it's not. It's, it's Braveheart ported to the United States because Mel's got a hard on for hating the British. Um, that's an awful movie. This is one of the few good American Revolutionary War movies, and it's set to music. So you're not, it's never going to be a man cave movie. But it's also a very fascinating character. People that we have created a legend around, you know, and I think HBO did a good job of dealing with John Adams with the HBO miniseries, if you saw that. But this was done in 1970, early 70s. It really kind of gives you a good glimpse of these guys are just men with their motivations, their egos, their drama, their pettiness, their virtues. And they're all just trying to get to something that is nigh on impossible, creating a new country. Um, and again, it's set to music. And it, it's like I said, it's fun. It's funny. It's thoughtful. It's painful. It's sad. Um, and it's really just, I love it. As a history nut, I've just found it to be every 4th of July, my wife's like, oh God, it's that movie again. Because I'll turn it on and I'll be singing all day. So that's number one, 1776. Well, that's very nice. You know, Mark, I, 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 you've sold me. I, I need to go find this and, um, and, and check it out. You know, there's, I really wish more people would go and read about this time period and really truly understand the events that led up to that decision. And I mean, truly understand the events that led up to that, to that, that decision and understand 
the choices they were about to make basically put death sentences on their heads. And you, you're talking about men who were, who were fathers and, you know, and trusted people to, to you know, be the, the voice of the people. And they needed a unanimous vote to, to, to make this happen. And as you can imagine, you know, just like in today's times, not everybody sees eye to eye. And, 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 and it's, it's really fascinating. I, I have a book that I'm working my way through. It's called, it's called Paul Revere's Ride. And it is, it is amazing. It is, um, it is simply, um, you, what you're taught in school is, it's, there's just, there's not enough time and there's not enough, um, there's just, there's just not enough, you can't get through all the detail, but the book is by David uh, Hackett Fisher. And it is, um, it, it's, it's, um, it's fascinating. Um, and, and you're right, Mark, there's, there's not enough stories about this time period. Um, and to, to have people understand the decisions that were made literally were life or death decisions. And they were trying to chart the course that they felt we could do better. Quite honestly, we were lucky to have pulled it off. And, um, and 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 so anyway, so I, I you know what I, I well I I'm not anti-musical, so um, I didn't even know this thing existed. So Ken, have yeah. you have you Check seen it this? Out. Yeah, have you seen this movie? I have. Okay, uh, I can confirm, being being the oldest guy here, that back in the early '70s, this play was very well received. I remember reading reviews about it. It was very well talked about on you know Broadway. And there was a lot of excitement about the idea they're going to turn it into a movie. There's, you know, I can remember reading articles about can they pull it off or not, because uh, it is a stage play. It's a musical, and musicals, you know, even back in the '70s, musicals hadn't really been doing much for about a decade. Uh, I mean, there's always a few musicals banging up here and there, but you know, and I've talked about this in prior, you know, shows. Musicals were a staple in Hollywood. I'm going to say from the 30s to about the, let's say, I'll just pick a year, 1965. I mean, they were cranking them out every year. They did great. They always had a market. And then around all, all of a sudden, people stopped wanting to go, and Hollywood stopped wanting to make them for the most part. So the whole idea of musicals is, to a large extent, dried up. And in the mid-70s, the idea that somebody was doing a musical was a big deal. Uh, you know, People hadn't done musicals for many years, and they didn't expect it to be successful, but it was a success. It got good reviews, uh, did decent box office from what I remember. Uh, and listeners, just so you know, due to these fairly spontaneous uh, nature of this podcast, you know, I've done <laughs> no research, unlike most shows where I've delved into all the numbers and everything behind the scene. Uh, I did see this back I'm, I'm going to guess about 1980 uh, when cable was new and fresh and you, you youngsters out there again get off my lawn while I'm talking about this but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, about 1980 is when we got cable here all of a sudden all these movies that you, know, you, you couldn't see were there and I can remember watching 1776, you know, sitting in the living room, my parents' house, uh, back in those days, and liking it. Uh, 
but it didn't make the impact on me, obviously, that made on Mark. Because, like, I've, I've never seen it since. I haven't followed up. I didn't, like, you know, commit it to memory. I don't know the songs. Uh, maybe I need to watch it again and uh, see. I, I think, just like uh, Jeff said, that Mark's inspired me. I think I, I think you've inspired me, too. I'll put this on my list and see what this movie is all about. Because I do like my history, and it is a fascinating period of time. Dynamic characters. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a, th- a thing about the you know the revolutionary age is in in all of the colonies, there's about six million people. Now, and again, I live in Indiana. There's about six million people in Indiana, but of that six million. When you start rattling off the names of world-class thinkers and statesmen and leaders, there are so many characters back then. And then you compare it to, okay, today, what what comparable people are here? Oh, no. Yeah, there's none. <laughs> uh, nobody. Uh, it, was a, it was an age of giants back there. And th- those guys, uh, obviously, they made their mark on the world. Now, you can sit there and critique this or that. But like you said, they it was tough to get done what they were trying to get done. And it easily could have gone totally in reverse. They could have all been dangling from a noose. So that's my take on it. But again, long time since I saw it. So I do know I liked it. But can I like give a detailed review? No. All right. Well, thank you, Ken. All right, Mark. Great start. Great start. What's your second movie that you that you enjoy? My second movie that I enjoy, it's one of my all-time favorites. When we introduced it to the kids when they were like 10, they fell in love with it. And Jeff, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. The Princess Bride. <laughs> Inconceivable. Inconceivable. <laughs> Never get involved in a land war in Asia. And never bet against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> a lot of scenes. I think. In there. I think once I I proposed a Princess Bride as a man cave movie and was thoroughly denigrated and shot down. I believe so. It does not take away from. Um, the the great movie that it is is just um, not not necessarily a man cave movie. All right, so Mark, I think um, you know a lot of our listeners know about it. Um, it has um, some uh, it has a great cast, um, including one of the greatest <laughs> wrestlers ever, Andre the Giant. <laughs> but most importantly, uh, um, obviously, it has uh, Billy Crystal. Um, Mandy Patinkin, <laughs> um, uh, Christopher Guest, um, one, one of my favorites in the movie is Wallace Shawn. Um, for, of course, Fred Savage is the kid that um, uh, Peter Falk is uh, reading this, uh, this fairy tale to. And is, this a kissing, is this a kissing book? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, of course, you had uh, Chris Sarandon and... Um, uh, and Robin Wright, who's who, uh, who was the young princess, um, and Carrie Elwood. and Carrie, yeah, yeah, yes. You cannot leave out the dread pirate. Uh-huh. Yes, the, the, I, I was going to save him for last as Wesley. 
Um, yeah, Mark, take it away. Tell us, uh, tell us, of course, uh, for, for our listeners that may not know about this movie. Uh, where have they been living? Um, under a rock. The Princess Bride is the ultimate fairy tale written by William Goldman, who, if you look this guy up, he wrote a ton of well-known, probably not a ton, but he wrote some of the best-known movies, um, including Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men, um, The Ghost in the Darkness, uh, Papillon, Marathon Man, Bridge Too Far, um, and was a renowned screenplay writer as well as a writer. He wrote this book called The Princess Bride, which is about this most beautiful princess kidnapped, like uh, taken away, and her, uh, the young man who she grew up with, um, who become who is who dies, all of a sudden magically reappears as the Dread Pirate Roberts, and it's a grand adventure of rescuing the princess, um, slaying evildoers, rescuing a kingdom, um, and generally having daring do of the Errol Flynn variety of Robin Hood. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say guys, that's kind yeah. of a movie. Yeah. I would, I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it has an, a brilliant cast directed by Rob Reiner and it just, it hits all the right notes of what I'd call a family adventure movie. It's funny. It's charming. It, it's a quote fest. It, you know, if Disney had it, they would have turned it into a horrible princess movie um, with talking animals. And instead <laughs> of talking animals, the sidekicks you get are brilliant. You know, Inigo Montoya, um, which, by the way, if you ever go to a conference and they give you that little sticker to put on your vest, on your suit that says, hello, my name is, always write Inigo Montoya. <laughs> and just wait to see if anyone catches it. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You have a you know you have Mandy Pentankin who's just brilliant as Inigo Montoya, the Six Finger Man, looking to have revenge to kill the Six Finger Man, who is Christopher Guest for revenge for killing his father. And Andre the Giant is Fezzik the Giant, who is just delightful, yes. fun, charming, sweet. And then you have all these other characters who appear throughout the movie. Like you said, Billy Crystal is Miracle Max. Carol Kane is his wife. Um, Peter Falk is the grandfather. You know, Chris Sarandon is Prince Humperdinck. He's got a wedding to plan and a, and, and, and a kingdom to overthrow. It's a very full schedule. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Peter Cook. You know, it's just Carrie Elwes was probably all of 20, I think, um, Robin Wright was like 18 when, yeah, when she, she did this movie. Very young. And it's just, if you haven't seen it, where have you been living? If you have, I, I can't think of people who don't like it. Even if you don't, if you're not blown away by it and you just, you still come out with a smile on your face. It's a feel good, charming little movie that has, it didn't do great at the box office. I saw it in the theaters. I've read the book. Um, and they're both great. I mean, book and movie. But what you know, what gave it a second life, and Ken kind of mentioned it, is was cable 
and videotape rental. Yeah. And it was one of those kind of like the thing and movies like that that became a cult classic that then just blew up. You know, it um it there are there are some of those rare movies and this is one of them that it was it was a sleeper and then, you know, it kind it kind of just it just caught fire. And I think that's a true testament to the quality of a movie. You know, Boondock Saints was very similar to that. Um it was yeah. unknown and then it was truly word of mouth that spread it. But, um, you know, we, we we ran through a lot of the actors and actresses. You know, Robin Wright, um, she's almost unrecognizable in her in here. She, I mean, she is really, a, I think, a, just a truer beauty. Um, and whether you like her, like the show or not, um, you know, most recently she was in House of Cards, at least the U.S. version, and, and played a a great strong role in that movie during a very, very chaotic time for the show. One of the things that we, I think we, we jumped over also was Carrie Elwes, um, but he was, um, he was in um, glory. Yes. Um, yes. With, with Matthew Broderick. <clears throat> and, and really I love when I think about him thinking about his the two different roles because they couldn't be any different of characters. But of course, Mandy uh, Patinkin, he is, are you guys familiar with Homeland? I've watched some of it. Yeah. It's mine and Sarah's one of our guilty pleasures. Um, You know, it's, 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 it's an interesting show, but he adds so much gravitas to that show um, as Saul Burnison. And he, um, it, it, he's one of the CIA guys, and he, um, it, his character arc is just, it's great. I mean, there's, there's great moments of that show. There's questionable moments, just like with any show. Um, but he really is the reason that we watch it, because he seals the deal. But I haven't seen him in too many other things. I wasn't a big, you know, cop sh- I'm not a big, huge serial cop show watcher. So I didn't watch Criminal Minds or... Um, uh, some of the other uh, Chicago Hope or some of the other things that he was in. Um, so I was really glad to see him in something that I could at least enjoy. Um, but, um, but Mark, what, uh, besides the, I mean, besides the actors, what are some other great mm-hmm. reasons to watch this movie? You know, it, it's just the story. It, it, it is just a charming um, hero's journey kind of story with a touch of it, it's got a touch of the sardonic to it it's it's almost like it winks at the audience a little bit um we all know that everything's going to turn out fine and everyone's going to live happily ever after but it's it's the journey of getting to the end because we know that this adventure is going to be she lived and they lived happily ever after that's but it's how you get there and I think what, if you really watch it, okay, you know what the story is, but if you really watch it, watch it for the actors working with a brilliant script. Yes. They, they have been given, you know, it's one of those where you just go, oh my gosh, I get to say these lines. And the pacing of the movie, it, it could be a real snark fest. And I think in uh, the wrong hands, and if it was redone today, it would be Ghostbusters 2016. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, enough said. Um, 
it's very deft. It's it's very fun. It's very tongue in cheek, but it's really watch it for the writing and the acting, and you'll be astounded at just how much love and enjoyment was taking place with the actors with this script. Because I don't think I think they've all talked about it. They still do reunions. That that it, it truly was a magical movie because of that, and it shows on the screen. You can tell these people really gel. Ken, I know you've seen this. What are your thoughts? Are you a big fan of the movie? Oh, I, I'm, I'm a fan of it. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I can, as Mark said, when this was on cable back in the days when I had cable, if it popped up, I'd always get sucked in and watch it. Uh, it's just such a fun, happy movie to follow along. I mean, it's, it's a simple story, but they got good actors. It's well-written. It, it has such good quotes. <laughs> and, and such good scenes. And they actually, they put some effort. They they, had, they filmed on location scattered around the world. Uh, also in fake sets full of quicksand, among other things. <laughs> and rats of unusual size. And rats of unusual size. <laughs> uh, there's just so many just fun scenes. And, you know, I, I just... It just takes a second and I start rattling off quotes and things like that. And that's a sign of a, a movie I liked. Yeah, there's some there's some really good trivia about this movie. Um, matter of fact, there's a ton of trivia about this movie, um, and and it's more recently um, there's a um, a biography on Andre the Giant, which is it's it's really a tragedy. I mean, it's just really a tragedy. Um, not a train wreck, just a tragedy. But they in in the biography they they go into his period of time where he was making this film and he really, really enjoyed making the film, but he was in a terrible condition at the time. And they talk a lot about, um, you know, his struggles and not, you know, not just in the filming, but just in his life that was causing those problems. Um, but really, I mean, you can't really have that movie without him. I mean, he really brought something to it. Yeah, and you mentioned a book. If and I listened to it on audio, Audible. Carrie Elwes wrote a book about three or four years ago called "As You Wish," and it is basically his story of being on the movie, the making of the Princess Bride, and everything that happened behind the scenes. Um, and he narrates it. So if you want to listen to it, it's really well done. But he talks about Andre the Giant and how he could put away like a case of wine and a case of beer a night. But he was truly this gentle giant. And he was in a lot of pain. He, his body was a train wreck. And he looked out for um, Robin Wright. He kind of like adopted her and was her guardian angel. So if you have if, if you have a moment, if you're looking for something to read, it's a quick read. And you're really if you're interested in the subject, pick up Carrie Elwes's book as you wish. But you're right, Jeff. Andre the Giant was in a lot of pain, but he loved this movie. And Carrie Elwes said they all just loved him so much because he just he was just a big kid. Yes. All right, Mark. Well thank you. Um uh yeah, Princess Bride. Um, it's it's a must see nearly for everybody, and I don't I don't know what where our listeners live, but you know we have there are some movies that really not only need to be seen on the big screen, 
but need to be seen in like a group setting. Yep. And this is one of those movies I think that needs to not only be seen on the big screen, but it needs to be watched with a large group of people. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, well, we're, we're already halfway there. Um, Number three. Number three. What, what say you? What do I say? I say, Ken, don't you forget about me. (laughs) You mess with the bull. You mess with the bull. You get the horns. (laughs) That would be Mr. Muncie. Oh, my God. I'm... uh... The Jeff, breakfast. Jeff Zero yeah, is his his role Mr. model. You know, yeah. Mr. Vernon, and, and he you know, the, the actor passed away not too long ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. All right. So so, go ahead, Mark. The movie is for those that don't know. The Breakfast Club, 1985. Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, and Ali Sheedy are all on Saturday detention. Mark, I've got to say, I got I forgive me for jumping in, but. No, I am actually shocked that you enjoy this movie. I don't know why. I love this movie. I don't know why, but it does humanize you a little bit more. <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Asshole. He's not one hundred percent robotic. That's what you're saying. Because we've, you know, what's so great, and I, I was wrapping up college when this came out, but it's a John Hughes movie. You know, and John Hughes has done, well, gosh, he did what? Home Alone, um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Ferris oh. Bueller's Day Off. My God. Yeah. I mean, John Hughes is a is a legend, um, you know, and, and died way, way, way too early. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, every, I mean, you know, Uncle Buck, National Lampoon's Vacation. I mean, you know, the, you know, the, these are things that he, you know, either wrote, um, you know, and, I mean, and it was all about the story with them. But you know, yeah. some of the best things he did was when he was, um, you know, directing, um, yeah. and producing, um, and and um, you know, and, and he directed that. He wrote it and he directed this. Um, he only had eight movies that he directed but they're they are classics there are 16 candles the breakfast club weird science which we don't talk a lot about just as mm-hmm. funny ferris bueller's day off planes trains automobiles um she's having a baby which okay we all mm-hmm. get one we all get one and then uh, of course uncle buck but um, yep. He did. Um, he the, the '80s would not have been the same without him. Nope. Matter of fact, I think nope. he might. Ken, would you agree? He maybe defined the '80s. I could not argue with that. If he didn't define it, he captured, captured the it. mood. Yes, very yep. well. I, I think I mean, he a, was making about two movies a year all yeah. through the '80s. I think he captured the look, the feel. Yeah, I think if you because I mean you you guys were aware of the '80s. I grew up; it was my you know formidable years, um, and and it was it captured the essence of the '80s. I mean, they're sort of time capsules in a sense. Um, but anyways, Mark, go on sell sell your sell your so, side of it. We have a lot to talk about with this movie. Yeah, so you know you said why you know you you were surprised I like it, and. 
I, you know, the thing about this movie, and I said this to my wife, we were taking a walk about some dynamics in a neighborhood. I don't care what anybody says. Life, even when you get older and get a career and get kids and get a job and become a coach or whatever, life boils back down to high school. The dynamics of high school just carry forward into different stratifications with with all those psychosocial dynamics still carrying forward. And this movie encapsulates kind of the four personality types that are archetypes of what high school life was like and what we all struggled with in high school. And that the personas that we all present ourselves as, and you kind of, I'll even tee off on what you said, Jeff, you're surprised I like it. Uh, You know, how we present ourselves. And then there's the person underneath. And this movie really deftly touches on, on all of those fears and bravado and the person we present ourselves as and the, and the people we are and the struggles we all have and how we got to where we were or why we behave the way we do. And it's told, you know, through the lens of four high school students who don't know each other, they kind of know of each other, who are stuck together in detention um, for a day. And it, it's their journey that, you know, I can't, the, the ending is great where they write the letter. And I think um, Anthony Michael Hall narrates it um, about, you know, you see us as this person or this person or this person. And here's what we are. And I think that of all of and why this really resonates with me is we've all lived that. And my daughter and my son have watched this movie. They both are in college or starting college and they will stop with doing to watch this movie this movie is timeless because john hughes captured it with very thoughtful poignancy he does not make he doesn't belittle the characters he doesn't um he doesn't play off that the teachers are brutes he's he is what he is he's a bit of an archetype but what it does is it's a very thoughtful examination of what it's like growing up um and that we still carry a lot of that baggage with us as we get older and how you view people. And it's very, it's very funny. It's very angsty. It's very compelling. And I think it's probably why I love it is the actors do a great job. When you think about it, this is a small, and I'm going to shut up so you guys can talk. No, no, this is a, this is basically a small um, play. There's really only five people. Uh, There's the four main characters and, Oh, that's right. There's the janitor. Well, the principal. Paul Paul Gleason. Yeah, Paul Gleason. Assistant principal. He's not the principal. Right, good point. But there's really... so it, And it all takes place pretty much within one area with a few side trips. The library. But it's real... Yeah, yeah, the library. It's really a character study. Yes, it is. Personality. And it's just... What I love about it, why it's timeless, is John Hughes treats everybody with respect, and he treats the subject matter of growing up with respect. And it's still a touchstone movie. I mean, you know, I watched, I'll give you an example. I, I was affected by the big chill when I was in college. I was, was junior in college. When, and then I watched it as an adult with kids, 
And I'm like, you bunch of narcissistic, me monstering jack wagons. I hated the movie when I got older. I loved it when I was younger. This movie, it's timeless. And I, I, I think it's because of the way the subject matter is treated and the director and the actors, Molly Ringwald, Joe Nelson, Anthony Michael Hall, and Emilio Estevez, really do a, an Ali Sheedy, just do a terrific job. Uh, of, I think evoking those different character types that um, we all know in high school and college. Ken, what are your thoughts? I cannot say that I saw this at the movies when it came out. Uh, for whatever reason, at that point in my life, I wasn't going to John Hughes movies. Uh, I'm gonna, I think the first John Hughes movie that I saw and really liked that like locked me in to see it was on cable again, uh, 16 Candles, which similar, I mean, led by Molly Ringwald, in Chicago suburbs, you know, big ensemble cast, high school, you know, character types. Uh, whole different story, though. Uh, more light, more fr frivolous, more of a romance. Uh, this is, you know, but Breakfast Club is, it's, uh, I mean, it's got its dark moments. It's got its upscale moments. Uh, I can't argue with anything Mark said. But I can't say I've seen, I've only seen it a couple times. Uh, I've seen, you know, actually I went and saw 16 Candles at the, the at the dinner theater just like a year ago. A friend of mine wanted to go, so I said, sure, I like that movie. Uh, I love Uncle Buck. Uh, we've, we've reviewed Uncle Buck. Uh, so John Hughes has put out a lot of good, solid stories. Uh Probably, if I had a problem with The Breakfast Club, is the character I was probably most like in high school was kind of, <laughs> sort of, Ali Sheedy. <laughs> I mean, what? I, loved, I, I was sort of like the weird person sitting in the back of the library <laughs> with the other no, male were, social outcasts. You so, were Anthony Michael Hall. I was your mother. Mother, your mother cut the crust off of your bread. Oh, no, she didn't. I had to cut my own damn crust. If you took my, Anthony Michael Hall's character and Ali Sheeta's character, sort of merged them together, that was sort of me in high school. Uh, uh, but it is the truth. I mean, high school does follow you. It's, I mean, I was, again, I was an, sort of a nerdy, outcast, antisocial dude in high school. And uh, it blew me away when I went to my last class reunion and Everybody was, oh my God, Ken Rohde's here. Because on Facebook, I look like I'm living a life. So <laughs> they thought I was really interesting. But uh, back in high school, I didn't get the time of day. I mean, I just sort of sat in my little cubby hole and did my thing and couldn't wait to get out. So, and that's a thing. I mean, for a lot of people, high school is like their, their golden age. It's, they have such fond memories. For me, high school kind of sucked. I'm glad I got out, and I don't really <laughs> care that I never had to look back. Uh, not that I don't like people I went to high school with, but they just not they don't make a part of my life at this time. Uh, so I, I think I have moved on beyond high school, uh, but I do recognize from my study of world at large that these 
archetypes that these characters represent, you run into them all the time today. Yeah. You know, I have run into women that might be 30, 40, 50 years old, but I'm going like, yeah, they were Molly Ringwald's character back here. <laughs> or, you know, yeah, it's... this guy, he, he might be like, you know, the, the assistant vice president of this company, but, you know, you know, he was Judd Nelson back in the day. You know, that's, that's the way this movie does work. Yeah, you know, it's it 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 covers the main ones. And Ken, I hear what you're saying about you were kind of a hybrid between two. I was I was actually probably a hybrid between John Bender, who was played by Judd Nelson, and um, Andrew, <laughs> Why am I not Andrew Andrew Clark, who was uh, played by Emilio Estevez. I mean, it was I, I sat in this weird world of I was I was involved in sports, but you know what? I was just I was on the wrong side of the track. So. Uh, but, but you, you know, did have a great head of hair back. I then. had a great mullet back then, and yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of coincidences between Mark this movie and the movie we were going to review tonight, which we won't name what that was. Uh, but you know, this movie set in Chicago, so was the movie we were going to review tonight. Um, there was also um, mullets. Um, in, oh. uh, in, in, in both movies, um, well, it's the Pat, same, it's the same period. It is and the same period. Shoulders oh yeah. Girls. Yeah. That was a thing back then and big hair, yeah. big hair, big but, hair. but you know, it really, um, you know, same thing. Uh, you know, when I was, I, I, and I still enjoy this movie when I, you know, I come across it on TV, I will immediately stop. You know, again, we couldn't really talk about this movie without the, you know, antagonist Paul Gleason, who's just the guy that's been put in charge of running the study hall on a Saturday. He doesn't want to be here any more <laughs> than they do. He just wants to get through the few hours that they're going to be there. And you know what? The kids are kids. They're just they're just doing what they do. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing because they're kids and they're 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 reacting to an oppressive situation. And, you know, they're pushing back because, of course, they don't want to be there, uh, you know, and along the way, they make it a little more difficult for themselves. But, you know, the I actually really love the story. And I love the story about you've got five kids that would not that that really didn't even know each other. They're in this big high school. And the only reason that they're here is because they all did something to deserved detention <laughs> but be, be, because they were all put in this situation and and you know of course you know you you know what's going to happen you have the, the not one of them enjoys the other in the beginning right but the enemy of my enemy is my friend right and and that sort of that's, that plays out but in the end this group is able to not just put aside their differences, but actually embrace their differences and respect the different people that they are. And on the other side of it, you know, they come out actually respecting each other and reaching sort of across the aisle, finding, you know, enjoyment out of each other. And in the end, I mean, there's a few movies out there that sort of have like a perfect ending. And this is one of those movies to me that sort of, it's a great movie. 
but it has nearly a perfect ending to it. And you're right, Mark. The the narration by Anthony Michael Hall about, you know, they had to write, you know, what they got out of that day, basically. And it really was a it really was a great little piece. Um, and and it really uh, I, I, there there's there there's some really heavy themes here and if you, you're you I think said in the beginning I think something that's where if if you did like sort of a character study on these but not just a character study but like a social study on what this is there's a there are so many layers to this movie um, that it's really it's I think it's almost essential for anybody underneath the age of twenty five. And over the age of, I would say, 13 or 14 to see. Because mm-hmm. like with a lot of shows, you know, my son, my oldest will say, Dad, can I watch this? And it's not a matter of the inappropriateness of anything. It's just, can he understand the heavy themes or some of the subtle themes that are in the show that he it would really impact him that he would possibly enjoy this? I think my classic story is my wife... When she was growing up, she was too young at the time that Seinfeld was on to appreciate and understand Seinfeld. But once she got to be in her late 20s, early 30s and had lived life and can see the satire and the irony of everything that that show presents, then it became a great show to her. But it wasn't until she was able to live life and be able to relate to it. And that's what I think is important about this show is you have to live life. And I, I, I said this a few weeks ago, and I'll stop talking. When I was growing up, of course, I'm on the side of the kids. But now as I've gotten older, a part, a part of me really sides with Paul Gleason, right? Order will be maintained. <clears throat> you know, we're, we just need to get through this. This is what, you know, our... This is what, you know, this is, this is your reality. You just need to, you know, suck it up and deal with it and serve your time. Um, You reflect on it and, you know, and don't come back. But I'm actually not a hundred percent on his side still to this day, because I kind of see, I don't know, school a little different than him, but I'm not so anti Richard Vernon as I was when I was a kid because of that perspective. You know, there is a middle ground here, and I don't know if they ever really reach that middle ground. But anyway, I I want to jump in here a second about, you know, Paul Gleason. He's given me a lot of enjoyment Mm -hmm. over the years. And again, sadly, he passed away recently. Uh, But back in the 80s and early 90s, he was one of these. Well, I'm just saying he was one of these guys in Hollywood. That any time the movie had a character who was a, I'll just say, <laughs> put a quote around it, we need a jerk-ass authority <laughs> figure. I'd be like, pick up the phone and call Paul Gleason. He was in Trading Places. Die Hard. He was in Die Hard. It, that, and that, he carries that, it. That movie, Die Hard would not be the same movie without him in it. No. 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 And the thing is, in this movie, because he is able, I mean, is he just playing that same stereotypical character he always plays? Yeah, pretty much. But you need that strong character <laughs> opposing and intimidating and giving the horns to the kids to get them to bond. Because like you said, yeah. the enemy of my enemy is my friend. 
if they just threw these kids into that library and, you know, Miss Cream Puff came in the room to say, oh, please, please fill out this paper and, you know, just, you know, be nice. You know, it would have been, they never would have gotten to where they needed to be. They needed, you know, they needed a jerk-ass authority figure to kick them in the line to make him into that team, much like Gunnery Sergeant Hartman would have done. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I share something with you guys? Yes. 1985 is the year Breakfast Club came out. Yeah. Do you know what else he was in that year? That same year, by the way. He was in five different, six different productions in 1985 alone. Do you know what one of them was? I what? I have no idea. It was a made-for-TV movie. It was oh, no. Ewoks, The Battle for Endor. <laughs> I just saw that. I'm like, what? I, I, had no, I had no idea such a thing existed. And I'm Surely sure... he was playing the imperial officious authority figure. He was, he was Jeremit. And I never... I did... Oh, I my. had... God. No idea. It, I would it never even watch such a thing. I'm sorry. Even back in 1985, I, I had my self respect. Wow. <laughs> I know, but he, uh, but no, he's, uh, you're right. I can't, I, I mean, he, he was that quintessential kind of dick, but I'm sure that he played. I mean, you look at his filmography, and he, he was in a, a lot of, oh a lot of productions. I mean, it's amazing, really really what he was in and i mean i mean he died in 2006 but the thing is he was born in 1939 yeah, um yeah. you know i mean you know it was he wasn't old but um you know again you know you know a, a very long career so all right well mark great yes and a great movie one clearly that we all could um could, uh, could could at least relate to so. Well, I'm glad I was I was able to select that. I'm just really shocked. I'm just really shocked. All right, and in, in a pleasant way, by the way, in a pleasant way. All well, right. Gee, thanks. Yeah. All well, right. Basically, what what Jeff is saying is he always has considered you to be the Paul Gleason of this <laughs> podcast. I, yeah. I, it's the hair. You know the what? Hair Jeff? sets it off. It's yeah. the hair. It's the attitude. I don't know. Yeah. It's the words. And, you know, we've always. <laughs> We've always considered, you know, you, Jeff, to be the long duck dong of this well, podcast. Well, that, <laughs> that or Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> one of the two. I don't know. Yeah, so. one of the two. All Very right. Happy. Oh, by the way, another right. person another person that was a coincidence, Mark, another mo- a person that was what? in this movie and the movie we were going to review tonight is Ron Dean. He was uh, Anthony Michael Hall's... Um, Oh no, yes. Emilio, Emilio Estevez's father. Yes, and he was a cop in the other movie. Yes, he was a cop in the other, and he's one of those guys that um, you you see him and you're like, oh, that guy. That guy. Yes, that guy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. That guy. Right, there's actually, yeah. ladies, ladies and gentlemen, sidebar. Um, there's actually a uh, a I don't want to call it a documentary, but a TV show out there. Or I guess a documentary. Uh, I think it's called That Guy. Where they chronicle several people that are that guy, the guy that's in so many things, 
you recognize him. He's in a show for a certain amount of time that he brings something to it that you recognize him, you know him, and you you know he's kind of a character actor. And, you, and so you don't need to go into it. You know what he's about. There's 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 like seven or eight people that they chronicle in there. And if you haven't seen it, you may want to go check it out. So, all right. Um, anyway, Mark, movie number four. Movie number four. So much time and so little to do. Wait a minute. Strike that. Reverse it. Thank you. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Interesting choice. Mark, tell nah. us tell us why. The ori- the original. Oh, Ken, you missed your moment. Yeah, I was I was, I, I was letting him go. Yeah. Yes, the original. Because there is only the one, right? It, there is only one. You, you know, when you had said to me, pick five movies that aren't man cave movies that kind of resonate with you and think back. Yeah, this movie came out in 1971, Gene Wilder, and it is a musical, interestingly enough. There are some musical pieces in it. It's not a pure musical. Um, I had read, my parents had given me, and I devoured the Roll Doll books. Mm-hmm. I think it was Roll Doll. Yep. Um, Charlie, sure. which became Willy Wonka, and uh, James and the Giant Peach. I loved those books when I was really young. Um, and I remember my parents took me to this movie when it came out and I was like 10 or 11 years old. So I'm dating myself and I, it's a magical movie. I mean, I, Gene Wilder is, was just a man of incredible talent and he made this movie, which has a lot of layers that I didn't appreciate till I watched it when I got older, because if you just watch it on the surface, it's about a kid getting a ticket to go to a chocolate factory, and if he behaves, he gets a prize. Mm-hmm. That's that's the premise. But when you get older and watch it, it's got all these archetypes about gluttony and avarice and, you know, the seven deadly sins, basically. Mm-hmm. And Gene Wilder kind of plays the god figure, if you will. And these people, you could even say they're, you know, on, on a journey a spiritual journey and the chocolate factory is, you know, will, will they get there? Um, and it, so on, on the surface, it, it's a brilliant movie of a translation of the Roald Dahl book. And I think what always struck me when I was younger, and it still holds to this day is the incredible set design. Once you get in the factory, when you consider when this movie was made, this is all practical effects just and yes you can tell it's a set and it's but it's still it still is amazing and the colors they use the palette that they present for the cinematography is just still rich and so on the surface it's it's a kids movie underneath that is this whole layer about you can almost say a hero's journey and the, the the choices you have in front of you with Charlie and Obi-Wan, his uncle. And you could say Charlie is what would then become Luke Skywalker in 77. But in some ways, it's a hero's journey with a different uh, with a, a journey with your mentor and in your uncle. And it 
to this day, when you watch it, if you really watch it, there are a lot of messages, meanings to learn from this movie. But on the surface, it's carried by Gene Wilder, and he comes in probably a third of the movie is done before he appears. And he really carries this movie forward in this real interesting way of you're not quite sure who this guy is throughout until the very end. Um, and he has an agenda. And the agenda that you think is going to take place with you getting the golden ticket and the real agenda are two completely different things. And I got to give um, Gene Wilder, you know, Jack Albertson's in the movie as Grandpa Joe, Gene Wilder. And then after that, a lot of people, Denise Nickerson, you probably saw her as a character actor, but um, Miss TV was Nora Denny. There are a couple of people that you would recognize, Roy Kinnear as character actors. But the rest are really not people you hear much of anymore. And a lot of them are Europeans because it was filmed in, I think, Austria or Germany. But it's just a, to me, it, it just resonated in my childhood. So when you said that, and then I got to thinking about it, because it just, it's got a lot of layers to it. And I think that Willy Wonka still withstands test of time. And I think you say that movie, people go, oh, yeah, I've seen it. it it's one of those touch point movies that I think culturally people recognize. Thoughts, gentlemen? Ken? Well, I'll throw in, uh, you know. I didn't see this at the theater, although, I mean, I, I was a, an adult when it came out. Uh, I could have afforded to go. It just, I, I think when this came out, uh, see, try to think, this came out, what, 77? 71. Oh, shoot. Well, then I, I was. I was like, you were a kid. Starting high school. I was just starting high school. Before but no, I, I was even, born. Even, in, <laughs> even in 71, when I was like 14, when it came out, based on the marketing at all i saw it as it's a kids movie and i'm not going to go see a kids movie because i'm 14 you know going on 15 so much more mature uh, so i didn't see it then i mean i probably saw it when i was like in my early 20s was kind of surprised by basically how dark and scary it is I mean, if I saw this as a little kid i could easily be traumatized by it it's, i mean there's horrible stuff going on here uh, I, if I was a parent, I'd be, you know, keeping that, you know, in, on the back shelf before I showed it to my <laughs> maybe like five or six year old kids. Because, um, like you said, I mean, it gets into he some heavy themes and everything else. Uh, a thing I did think was kind of impressive. I, I and again, I haven't seen it for years, but as I recall, like you say, the first third of this movie is dominated by darks and grays and you know overcast skies and in dark interior shots and then you get to the factory and the doors open and it is this festival of color and you know oopa loopas coming out of the woodwork <laughs> everywhere definitely a visually impressive movie for its day because they didn't have any cgi or anything like that back then uh, I'll tell you for one thing, and this is just my, my, you know, you know how your brain connects two things just because of the weird way your brain's hired. When I think of this show, I also think of the TV series, the night stalker. How do you get there? 
I think just because when I first saw this, uh, I was on TV, and I think like the Night Stalker was on next or before. But again, the Night Stalker is. Uh, Do you mean Kolchak the Night Stalker? Kolchak. Yeah. Oh my Jack God. That's who I think of when I think of this show. For some reason, they were playing at the same time in my life. And Kolchak the Night Stalker was a great <laughs> one season wonder. Came and went. It but, is good. But it was, you know, Kolchak is the hard boiled detective investigating paranoia, paranormal stuff. It's basically a pulp version of uh, the X-Files. Uh, again, I've dragged this away from Willy Wonka, but Willy Wonka is a pretty surreal movie. I, yeah. I, can, see, I can see Kolchak wanting to find out what's going on in that factory, man. <laughs> so anyways, uh, it is a good show. I won't deny it. It does have you know, culture, deep cultural significance to many, many people. The fact that I don't think a month goes by that I can't pop on Facebook and have that Willy Wonka meme picture staring me in the face. <laughs> like, so you mean that blank, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, good movie. Good pick. I can't argue with it. So, um, I, I don't, I don't know where this is going to go, so I'm just going to say it. And, Mark, this is... This has nothing to do with the movie. It has everything to do with me. I hate this movie. I really? Hate it. I hate it. I I have not watched this movie since I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And I'll tell you why. It's exactly what Ken had said. It totally freaked me out. <laughs> My wife um, will... Um, she, you know, she loves this show. She... she expose it to the kids the kids love it then and we whenever we watch a movie whenever we you know present a movie to the kids it's always family movie night i refuse to go <laughs> absolutely refuse to go i'm a 40 some year old man and i it i just cannot bring myself to watch that movie do you want to know what the only only other movie is that i refuse to watch to this day that i have not seen since i was a kid does it have clowns in it? The Wizard of Oz. Oh, I could, I, yeah. I could when I was that. a kid, a lot of kids get, a lot of kids got freaked out by the Wizard I, of Oz. I, I have those nothing. flying monkeys. I'll tell you what, I have nothing to do with those two shows. I just don't. I don't like them. Um, they just, there's something about them that just, it's, it's this weird, visceral, just childhood, primal, just fear or creepiness that comes over. I, 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 I can't watch them. Now, that to be said, what I remember and see through images of this day, it appears to be a very vivid, colorful, beautiful movie. And that's what I remember. I remember just vivid colors. Not bright. It was almost just like pastels of some sort. And it, it was a beautiful movie. Um I can't watch it. I can't. <laughs> Just can't. So, um, so I'm not. I would not give this. I would. I would recuse myself from ever giving this movie a rating. Just because I have hangups with this movie, and it's not to take anything away from it. I just it. It's me, and so it's just more of a kind of a peek behind the curtain. I can't do this movie. 
or 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 but my kids you know i don't they've seen it but you you know it's not one that they will go to on reruns or wizard of oz but um but we you know they're they're kind of the classics so you expose them to it at the right time and you let them make their own decision at least that's our that's the way that we do it yeah real quick go ahead finish up yeah there i just happened to hit the trivia side and there's a ton of trivia but this one thing jumped out at me that i wanted to share when gene wilder died in 2016 peter ostrom who played charlie Charlie, changed his social media profile and it read former child actor veterinarian inherited a chocolate factory on 29 august 2016 Wow, that's pretty cool. Well that's done. a neat honor to Gene Wilder. Yep. Yeah, but I, I can I can say you know I think it came through from my review. I'm not blown away. This is not one of my favorite movies. I liked it and I was kind of impressed. But then I saw it as an adult. I mean, I was right. And I can totally get where if I saw this when I was maybe you know eight, nine, ten. It would just creep me out. I wouldn't want to see it again. I can I can see what Jeff's saying there. Oh yeah, I can too. And yeah. it's it's like clowns. I hate clowns. I mean, you know, if I had gone to see it with my son, I would have said, "Well, this movie's over in five minutes because yeah. I'm pulling it up." Nope. <laughs> the, yep. The only good clown is a dead clown. Yep. Yep. I agree. All right, gentlemen, All right. let's pause here for a moment. And discuss, brother, what you're drinking. Ken, do you, I know you bring something. You told me that you needed to stop and uh, and, and, and go get you something to drink. What have you? Uh, it's all gone now, but I was drinking a triple Jack and Diet Coke. Okay. Triple. Because so. a, a thing with the coronavirus uh, self-quarantining is... If you're pouring your drinks at home for about three months straight, a single is a triple. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. All right, Mark, what did you bring? I brought a Woodford Reserve blend, uh, bottle of their Kentucky Straight Malt Whiskey. So this is their addition to the line. It's the Have blue label. It, it's the blue label. It is. I've been terrified to try it, Mark. <laughs> it, it, it's the word malt that terrified me. Okay, it's fifty-one percent malted barley. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on, what was it? I was I had it up where they talk. The master distiller talked about it. Um, what their mash bill was, and now I can't find it, of course. But it is. It's thirty-five bucks, Jeff. That's about the going rate. Oh, yeah. Rate, it's, it's going bucks. right. Yeah. Yeah. It is um, 51% malted barley, 47% corn, 2% rye. So the rye gives you that that bitiness, and yeah. that, that edge. Since it's so malted, if you were trying to introduce someone into bourbon, I would give them this. Really? Because it's so smooth. There's no burn. There's absolutely no burn. If you knew someone who did not like a whiskey that was hot and they just wanted something that had a more sweeter, was sweeter because it's a malt, 
then I'd give them this. Okay. I can get um, that. I was just afraid. I just I was afraid what that malt. I, I was afraid it'd be thick, and I I was I, there was I had a lot of fears. It's I, let me put it this way. There's very it would be thick. I've cut it with I, I. It is good on the rocks. It actually opens it up a little more. But I would not sit here and make this a daily pour. Okay. I'd break it out occasionally and try it. And if you knew someone who didn't like a hot whiskey and you want to introduce them to it, I'd give them some of this because okay. it's a sweeter whiskey. So it is sweet. And 35, okay. yeah. And 30, it's a malt. 35 bucks, you can't get burned. You know, I, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I, I think I told you a few podcasts ago, you know, I've, I've got the, um, their, um, their weeded bourbon. Um, the yeah. red label and it, it in the beginning I didn't care for it but as I it, I don't know as it maybe just sat there <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I um, I actually really in, uh, I'm starting to enjoy it more so you know I mean I, I'm a Woodford fan I, I enjoy Woodford I mean it, it's you know it's it's an it's a nice mm-hmm. solid bourbon and um, you know, so I, I I was hoping I would you know stop by some sort of uh, liquor store or not liquor store a uh, uh, bar and be able to you know you know try this sometime before I bought it. So, but but well, you know, I, you and I have similar tastes. So, you know, if you're enjoying it, I may now, like it too. Now, don't get me wrong. I like a hot whiskey. I like a hot bourbon. Sure. I'm like you. We like a burn. But every now and then. Something milder that's just an easy drinker. It's great. Yeah. And as I said, if someone, if you're introducing someone to bourbon, I would probably start with something like this. Okay. All right. Well, good. So, deal. what do you have? I have a problem, Mark, and I'm starting to really. Oh, oh do you want us to start listing them? Maybe we've been keeping track. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe we <laughs> could find see. another. Maybe we could find another podcast listener you know we got the beach and file going maybe they could uh you know come up with some sort of file for all my 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 ticks all right i have a problem and that problem is um i i apparently am in some sort of um i'm addicted i'm addicted to buying bourbon i just can't stop and um you are um and so the other day i was out minding my own business um, I actually went to uh, my, one of my favorite places here in Indy called Cons um, Fine Wines, mm-hmm. and um, they don't just have fine wines; they have they have bourbons. Actually, they have a, the best, in my opinion, bourbon selection in the city. I I stopped by there to because um, I know when their truck comes in, and I thought I'm going to stop by and and you know just see if anything they got anything off the truck. And what I found is. What they end up doing is they end up saving a lot of their stuff for Saturday morning, and then um, you know, and then releasing stuff then, unbeknownst to me. Um, but uh, so I, I went by, and I think I told you guys I I recently got the Basil Hayden's Ten Year Rye, which mm-hmm. really good. I mean, really good. I mean, half the bottle's gone, and I should not have half the bottle gone. But I was just <laughs> I was I was talking to the the son of the owner, really nice young man. Uh, and I was, you know, I was, I was telling him about that, you know, I was, I was letting him know that they were the only, only place in the city that was, that had the Basil Hayden's 10 year rye. Cause 
I've got a problem, and that is I buy too much <laughs> bourbon. And so I, I do a tour of Indianapolis, um, and I, I, I'm slowly figuring out when certain places get their deliveries. So, but I, w- I went by this place and I said, Hey, I said, you know, here's what I like, you know, you know, can, you know, what, 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 you know, do your best to sell me on something. And so he, he turned me on to, uh, I think it's a new, a new company, newish company, new riff. And, yes, I, and I've seen they've been around, but what he had, they had their single barrel and, he talked to me about it. It was uh, it was a store pick single barrel, um, 114.2 proof. So it's 57.1 um, AVB. Um, you would not know that this is 114 proof. You would not. So that's a. So that was a barrel select for that store. Barrel select for that store. Um, okay. Uh, aged wow. aged four years. Um, yeah. And, um, and it is, it's, it's dark. It's very tasty. I mean, it's, it's almost a, it's almost a reddish color. Um, is it a rye or a bourbon? It's a, it's a bourbon. It's a straight okay. bourbon. It's a single barrel bourbon. Um, and it's, it's really good. I mean, it's, it's on the, <laughs> it's on the fruity side, much like me. And, and it's kind of sweet. Um, <laughs> much like me but it's um, oh wow it's hold that up again i don't know if you can see that it's 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 kind of dark um you know it's not like your um it's not like your old foresters which are on the more amber side it's dark and i i'll tell you what i so tonight i was like now i'm gonna try it and uh and i i ended up i'll tell you what it's i mean it it on the side it talks about you know vanilla cherries and some some fruity and, and that's what i picked up on the front end of all this um but i do not what i don't get is at 114 i don't get any sort of lingering or powerful burn so um mm-hmm. i consider this uh and it wasn't that much money actually um i consider this a, a good pickup so um, wow. but i hadn't nice. had i hadn't had any new riff products so i uh, you know I, I was just going basically on recommendation and uh so I added that to the list of whew, my, I'm glad my wife doesn't well, do math very well. So, well, if it's, if it's a barrel select for that story, you may need to go back and get another one. Cause when they're gone, they're gone. The, you know, there, there, there is, there is that, um, if, once you find it, um, my, I got a bar up here. They, they, they get their own barrel. Of, they got actually got their own barrel of Woodford. And before the COVID hit us, um, I was going back on regular on a regular basis to sit at their bar <laughs> and drink their barrel select of Woodford. And I there was a, the first couple times I went in there, I said, "Do you have any to sell?" I mean, I know you can't, but do you have any to sell? <laughs> um, and they were like, "No, this is the only bottle we got." And I'm like, "I'm sure it is, but you know, I'll tell you what, you know, you got a back parking lot out there, so you know, <laughs> and I pay top dollar." So anyway. But yeah, no, um, I don't know anything about New Riff other than I took a chance on their single barrel store pick, and it it's it's really good. I mean, actually, you know what, nice. Mark? Strangely, it, it reminds me a little bit of Woodford for some reason. But um, really, yeah, it it that's what struck me in the beginning. So, huh. uh, but uh, again, I don't know. All right, so 
Thank you, gentlemen. All right. That was Brother What You Drink, and let's move on before we turn this into a seven-hour podcast. All right. Um, I blame myself. All right. And Mark, last and certainly not least, is number five. Number five is a Robert Redford movie from the 80s. It's a baseball movie, and I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I do like baseball movies. We reviewed Major League, which... We all agree he's probably one of the best guy baseball movies out there. Um, And he starred in a movie, came out, I think, in 85 or 86, called The Natural. I don't know if either one of you saw it. I saw it. I saw it. This is an, it's a 1984 movie. This is an older movie. And I've seen probably about half of the movie. It stars... Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Kim Basinger, um, Wilford Brimley. Um, it is um, it, it's a period piece, right, Mark? Yes, it's a period piece. It is Barbara takes Hershey. place during Barbara Hershey, who I was just rewatching um, the right stuff, and man, does she is she just stunning as Chuck Yeager's wife in yep. that movie? She had a lot. She was busy in the eighties. Um, it takes place in the 30s. Robert Redford plays this baseball player who is probably in his late 30s, early 40s, named Roy Hobbs, who all of a sudden comes out of nowhere and he gets on a team, the New York Knights, who are at the bottom of the barrel. They don't want him and all of a sudden they find out this guy is a phenomenal baseball player and everybody then is trying to figure out where has he been for 20 years or 15 years Why yeah because he's like now? he is like 40 years old when all the other players tend to be like 21 maybe yeah and he there's and this backstory I'm not going to give it away if you haven't seen it yeah, but it, it's yeah, I shouldn't, should I, Jeff? No, don't, because a, I, it, this is actually on probably it's a top ten movie that I want to watch, and it's one of those I want to watch it. I've heard such good things about it. I see when I, you know, eighty four back in you know the you know the eighties when I was a Ute, and, you know I I know I came across it because I remember some of the images of him hitting a baseball you know at bat in the sun with the I, I, rem, I there's a vivid image I have in my in my memory, but don't please don't ruin it because I do want to go I and won't. see it. Yeah, it, it it you know it's it's one of those sports movies that if you pull up lists, it's considered in the top sports movies, and it really is it's it's along the lines of Hoosiers with. Gene mm-hmm. Hackman okay. about success and failure and redemption. And it's built around the whole mythos of baseball as America's pastime and as this moment in history in the 30s. You know, you have the Depression before the before World War II. And so it's this period piece as well. And there's a certain the music to it is very haunting and it plays into this movie is is kind of a fable and if you've watched some of it it kind of presents itself that way 
And the way they shoot it, it's almost kind of shot with a soft lens. Uh-huh. And it's a it, it's a very deliberately paced movie. But it's got some very touching. And if you've gone through a period in your life, and recently I had some things happen in my life, where you didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't anything you did. It wasn't anything you didn't do. It's just what happened or what you wouldn't do. And your life took a turn. You didn't expect it. And you're out of the game for a while. And then all of a sudden, your life takes a turn again. You never expected. And you're back in the game. And it, it's a really, it's a life story movie um, built around baseball. And Robert, the actors are just all incredible. Like you said, you have Robert Duvall, Robert Redford, Kim Basinger, Glenn Close, um, Wilfred Brimley, uh, Barbara Hershey. They all they all stay within their swim lane of the roles they've. Joe Don Baker's in it as the whammer, um, thinly disguised Babe Ruth. Yeah, yep, thinly disguised Babe Ruth, um, Richard Farnsworth, all these. People, a lot of very great character actors um, are in this movie, and everybody just kind of plays to the type of person that you were supposed to be in a fable. And Robert Redford, you know, he had that run in the 70s and 80s where he was handsome. He, I, I don't, he's not one of my favorite actors. I don't agree with him on a lot of things. But he had this certain charm about him and boyishness that carries him through a movie like this very well. Um, and it's, it, it, to, for me, it was one of those movies when I saw it that just, it, it's an American dream kind of movie. Uh-huh. And it, it, it just kind of resonated and always has. And if it's on TV, I will stop and watch it because it, it has... And, you know, it's that whole fable of of success and failure in the American dream. Um, and it, some of it's true, some of it's not. Some of it's what you make of it. And I think that's what I like about this movie is it's about resilience and overcoming your past um, and coming to terms with your past and getting on with life. So uh, didn't last movie wasn't trying to be deep because there's some very there's some very funny scenes with Wilford Brimley. He kind of, he kind of steals the movie in a couple occasions. Um, but it's, uh, I, I really like this movie because it just, it, and what's the movie with Kevin Costner? Build it and they will come. Feel the dreams. Feel the dreams. They both kind of have, and I, I love Feel the dreams. They both kind of have that, that sense, uh, I don't know, uh, what America is, what America can be, and what it, what people can be if they do work hard and try and get a few breaks in life and take advantage of them, and if they do the right things for the right reasons. That's the other thing that's interesting about this movie with Robert Redford is he's he's haunted by his past, but he does not lose sight of who and what he is or his beliefs, um, and he doesn't take the shortcuts in life and he doesn't crap on other people to get ahead. So I just really like this movie. Ken, have you seen this movie? 
I have. I've seen it a number of times, and I'm like Mark that I do like it. I haven't seen it for many years. Uh, I, I can remember the first time I saw it as a got a DVD from the old uh, like Blockbuster or something down at the movie store uh, about 1988-89 and saw it, watched it with uh, one of my girlfriends at the time. Uh, and it caught me then. I like you said, it's a it's a fableistic throwback movie. Uh, it doesn't try to be super realistic or gritty, but it does have that side to it. Uh, it and this probably is about wrong. About the same time is when I first saw the Sting. Okay. And to me, side mm-hmm. by side, the look and feel in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, totally different movies, but they're set in the Depression. They got the same sort of, it, it's a depressed-looking feel. Uh, a part of this, uh, you know, a, a theme in this is, you know, there's there's grift and graft and gambling going on and people on the take. We did Eight Men Out a while, mm-hmm. you know, years back. Another good baseball movie, but uh, that a little element of that is built into it. But I think at its core, and I think I could remember reading way back that uh, who who wrote this? This Patty Chayefsky, uh, Bernard uh, Ma- Bernard Malmud. Okay, I think I can remember that he was he wrote this movie in opposition to a famous quote from F. Scott Fitzgerald which, again, big writer from the 20s, which is, there are no second acts in America. The idea like, okay, you get your shot, and if you blow it, well, then you're out of there. And this is definitely a movie to to refute that. And I personally believe there are second chances in America, because I know that my life is an example of it. Uh, I think you guys, you guys know me, now and you know me years ago and my life is nothing like it was then because you know you you know the thing is nobody hands it to you but you can get there and that's mm-hmm. the thing about this movie it's a guy who had it who made it early and then lost it all and now we're meeting him and you only see glimpses of the past mm-hmm. and now you're meeting him when Again, he's older by all rights. He shouldn't even be there, but he's got gifts, he's got talents, and he wants to put them to use. But like you said, he's he's just so clean and pure and boyish and good. It just kind of makes you <laughs> gag. Um, but uh, another thing I do like about it, aside from all the like say good character, I thought the sound the. Uh, the music in this movie was pretty spectacular when they wanted it to be. It was in the background, just sort of, sort of like, you know, tinkling with your emotions. But when it had to, like, reach out there and really grab you to say, like, this is a big scene, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I, I get you. It's a big scene. Uh, so, yeah, I've seen it. I've liked it. Uh, I agree it's not really a man cave movie. Uh, and I don't really know quite why, but I don't think it is uh, not by the it's not an action movie and it's it's mm-hmm. it's dealing with themes that are probably more serious than we tend to think about uh, there 
Although there are, there's explosions. I mean, there's there, there's explosions, there's gunshots, there's uh, there are pe- there's fights. I mean, there's, there's all a, that there's, good stuff that we normally would want in a movie. There's lightning. Lightning, yes. There's, there's people people call out <laughs> knives <laughs> and carving things yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, it's all there. So theoretically, this should be a man cave movie, but I agree it's not. But it does fit well in this special tribute show. You know, um, I I haven't I haven't seen this, and I'm again it's on my list. And Mark, thanks for bringing it up because I may in my downtime this next week because I actually think I may have some downtime. Um, I think I might I might watch this. So it, it's been on my list, and you know I've I've really enjoyed Robert Redford through you know through you know actually I haven't seen a lot of his movies, but the ones I've seen him in, I've really enjoyed him, um, and I'm. I want to say this. I reserve the right as the guy in charge of this podcast at the moment. Um, I feel this is kind of like a living podcast. I reserve the right to possibly, after I watch it, put it into contention for a full review. So even though, Mark, you're doing this, I will reserve, I will pause to say that, you know, depending on how this works out, maybe it is a man cave movie. I don't know. Because I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to this question. I don't really care what your answer is because I've already made up my mind. Um, but do do you think Field of Dreams is a man cave movie? Ken, I'll let you go first. Yes. Okay, Mark. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Good. I'm glad we're all on a unanimous decision there because we're gonna do that movie and we may do it soon. Um, because it is a man cave movie and, and, and when we review it, I will tell you why it's a man cave movie. Um, oh my gosh. That is a man cave movie about fathers and sons. Yes, it is. It is. Oh, and that's oh exactly it. it is. It's also a good movie to reflect on the fact that since, uh, from all intents, uh, baseball season is being destroyed on yes, our future life. Yes. Yeah. If that, we would just go to some cornfield in Iowa, we could maybe watch a baseball game. Well, that's that, well, that, that stadium is still there. They were going to their plan is to play a game there this yes, year. Yes, I saw yes. that. And I love that. I mean, I A real game. I mean, a a, a real live game. Yes. The what like the Chicago White Sox and and Costner's going to be there. Yeah, it was the whole deal. I think like, I'll tell you, you what. Imagine they have that. That is one of the greatest marketing things aside oh. from bourbon I have seen in the last five years. Um, and I think that that I'm not a baseball fan. I got out of it years ago. Um, you know, during the uh, speaking of you know Lance Armstrong during the whole doping craze, it was just it was too much. Um, yep. And and. Um, and I think I saw that last year that they had that on the schedule. And I would have actually – I did watch the Cubs win the World Series because yeah. you had to. Um, but that was – I could tell you that was the last time I watched baseball was during that World Series. But yeah. um, but you're right. I'm glad I'm glad you guys are in agreement. So, you know, Field of Dreams. And we haven't done that. By the way, um, Eight Men Out listeners is episode 245. I, son of a gun, I just had it here. Um, <laughs> two, oh, I just, uh, two something. 245, 245. <laughs> Let's just go with 245. Um, episode 245. 
and um, and and it is it's a different movie, you know. And, and I was thinking about this when you were talking, Mark. That you're right. This um, this is a period piece, and Ken had said that he was watching The Sting during this time, and I think that if you're a lot of people will watch like this, like we'll have a movie marathon, but it'd be the same type of movie, right? Like a gangster mm-hmm. movie or, um, you know, whatever, you know, a, 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 you know, a Chuck Norris, um, you know, Rambo type of, you know, movie marathon, but a movie marathon that, that you could do that. I, I admittedly, I don't think I do it is a period piece marathon where you could do the natural, you could do something mm-hmm. like Cinderella Man. You could do something like, um, um, oh, I mean, the Netflix movie, The Highwayman. The Highwayman. You could do something that is of the period just to get a full flavor for what everything was going on. You know, I mean, everything yeah. that was happening during that period. You don't have to get just one simple genre piece. You could get a flavor of okay. Well, this is this was the, these were the times, and um, and and you know, speaking of that, I you know I may do that here in the next couple of weeks. I may pick a you know a period and try to find out movies that, you know, kind of go along and will give you a flavor for that period of time. So, you know, we have not done a deep study of the movies from the golden age of flouncing and mincing since Rob huh. Roy came out. Huh. Huh. You just want to say flouncing and mincing. That's all he wanted to do, Mark. That's mm-hmm. all he wanted to do. And he, Mark, thank you very much. Um, I, My uh, pleasure. And I, I appreciate you um, accepting the challenge on the front end and um, and 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 delivering uh, a home run, pun well, intended. So, um, um, but anyway, um, yeah, no, thank you for that, and thank you, Ken, for uh, being flexible in what we're doing tonight because you are Mr. Flexible. According to the women, yeah. Um, I, oh, I'd like to put in a plug for listeners and to, to steer do, you yeah. guys to something I discovered while we were talking, and that is that uh, IMDb, the famed comprehensive movie database, has a section set up, which is simply titled "The Top 100 That Guy Actors." Huh. With, with pictures and a short bio of all of those guys that we all recognize, because we were alluding to that earlier. And it's the fact, you pull up this, and you scroll down, oh, that guy, oh, him, oh, yeah, I remember him. I think listeners, you know, I went there because we were talking about Paul Gleason and how he was in all these movies, and somehow I stumbled on this page. But I thought, hey, this is a pretty cool page. I just want to share it with you and the other listeners. Check it out. It'll, make, it'll, it'll bring a smile to your face. You'll see some... Uh, people get to learn a little bit about some guys some of them are from the past they might have been really active years ago but a lot of them are still busy today this was uh, fun thank you for throwing the challenge at me i hope um i hope these are some movies that if you haven't seen them uh you'll look them up and if you have you'll go yeah that you're right and we'll revisit them well um, mark i mean i mean if anything I'm probably going to watch a couple of these movies here in the next couple of weeks. I mean, between the natural and uh, the 1976, the musical, I mean, I'm uh, one, I, I, I can't believe I didn't know anything about it. And then the other, I, you know, again, it's been on the list, so I'm going to just, you know, pull it. So thank you for sharing those and putting those, you know, to the forefront of my mind. So 
At least someone will watch them. And but it still won't be Willy Wonka, will it, Jeff? Um, you know, <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I hope you enjoyed our special presentation tonight. Um, this was not necessarily planned, but easy to do. Uh, I know that this is something that we have had a, a, a few requests for from some of our listeners to say, hey, what are some things that you guys really enjoy that we're you're not going to review? And again, the plan is to hit all five of us. So we now have Ken and Mark done. Um, at some point, I'd really like to get the other two on, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish it out. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed our special presentation tonight of uh, Mark's top five non-Man Cave movies. Um, this is not a definitive list. You know, at some point in the future, who knows, we may do another top five from him um, as things ebb and flow. But I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, Ken's top five movies that he enjoyed that were not Man Cave movies. Um, again, one of our top five downloads, and um, it tells us that you guys are interested in it, and um, we're happy to do it. But gentlemen, thank you for being here. Thank you for this uh, fun time, fun. and um, I appreciate everything that, uh, that that you did, Mark, to prepare for this in the limited time that I gave <laughs> you to prepare for it. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to... Um, go to our Facebook page or iTunes. If you uh, enjoyed the show, give us a five-star review. If not, um, just send your hate mail to Steve. And um, uh, we will be back very soon with another show. And until then, ciao. I'll be back. Greg, we are leaving! Are you not entertained? Damn your eyes! Too late. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Someday this war's gonna end. In case I don't see ya. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. There's the us, and what we were. And what we'll be. And what we'll be.